Bring it in. Here we are. Read option back here on a uh, Friday morning for you guys. Got a great show lined up. Uh, had some scheduling, last minute scheduling conflicts with Scotty and Vito. So they will not be on the pod today. It's just me. We're going solo. Going solo to talk uh, some ACC. We're going to talk some Pac 12, a little bit of group of five. We're saving the Big Ten for Tuesday show next week. Even though week zero, there is going to be a Big Ten game, Nebraska and Illinois, that will kick off this weekend. But we're good. We're going to do a bunch of stuff. Like I said, we're going to talk about uh, some more news on the Alliance after their press conference. And a bit of a dud, honestly, this past uh, what was that? Wednesday, Tuesday, whatever day that press conference was, that was very underwhelming. Uh, and this said, the ACC, Pac-12, might get into the group of five a little bit, might save some of that for Tuesday's show next week. But, uh, and, and yeah, I'll also do a little kind of BSing there at the end. Got a couple of things that I want to bring up, but I might save that because, you know, it's always better to have kind of the guys with me for the reaction on that one. Um, but no, it's going to be a great show nonetheless. And before we get into the conference previews, we do have to kind of talk about the alliance. And the Alliance had a press conference on Tuesday with the commissioners of each league, George Klyovkov from the Pac-12, new commissioner, the new commissioner of the ACC, Jim Phillips, and the still relatively new commissioner in the Big Ten, Kevin Warren. The three of them were up on a Zoom screen. And all in all, they basically didn't give us anything, no real concrete information. We don't really have an understanding or knowledge of to what this really means this whole new alliance in terms of like i said like an actual solidified plan but i don't think they know and that's kind of the important takeaway here is when oklahoma and texas decided to make this decision to 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 leave the big 12 to go to the sec it kind of threw all the other conferences in a panic and they would never let us see that you know from the outside but that's more or less what happened they didn't really know what to respond And according to Jim Phillips, who is the commissioner of the ACC, a big reason for wanting to do this, this alliance, is to stabilize college athletics, in particular college football. Um, When you have these big realignment shifts that become real, like actual documents are signed, votes are casted by the, the, the schools in the new conference, it changes a lot. You know, we're looking at the Big 12 right now who are still basically out in the middle of no man's land. They really have no clear future. It got a little bit cleared up from this alliance, but we don't have a a concrete understanding as to how this is going to affect the Big 12 and even what the next five years of the Big 12 is going to look like. They're going to try to hold on to Texas and Oklahoma as long as they can, but eventually that move is happening. That move is going to change. And these these schools, these remaining conferences, the Big Ten, the ACC, the Pac-12, there's no schools available for them to go try to pick off from one another that's going to increase their value substantially. And if they try to take any of the remaining Big 12 teams, it's the same. It's the same thing. You know, would Baylor be nice to have in, you know, the ACC? Sure. But 
from a football perspective, because again, like, yeah, Baylor just won the national championship in men's basketball, but Baylor football is not moving the needle for them. It's not really helping them in terms of the ACC into what they can have moving forward. The other interesting thing, there's a couple of interesting things though, that we, that we did learn. Uh, one of which is that they didn't actually sign a, a written agreement. And there's a few reasons for that. Number one, it could violate some of the antitrust law, uh, some of the antitrust laws that that exist right now in the the Aston case, which was the Supreme Court case that allowed the name, image, and likeness, and, and a bunch of other changes in college football we had this summer. When that case came down, there was specific writing from the Supreme Court that said that the NCAA and these universities are and conferences are all subject to antitrust laws, which in years past there had never been a firm stance on that one way or the other. So there could be a little bit of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, the big five, the power five conferences want to stay the power five, or, you know, might want to vote together on certain college football playoff expansion, stuff like that. And so not having a written agreement is a pretty clear example of them not wanting to cross that barrier. And, and because the second that, you know, something in terms of name, image, and likeness specifically, were to come down, right? You know, a new rule that comes down that the, the conferences are voting on. If the three schools decided to vote together based off of this agreement that says, hey, we're all going to vote together on this, they would get sued in a second. Like they could blink their eyes and that's how quickly a lawsuit would, would be dropped down in front of them. So for them to essentially decide, hey, we want to vote together on certain things. We want to be aligned in certain things, but we can't actually sign an agreement. It kind of, it doesn't invalidate this whole alliance, but it basically means that they're just taking each other's words for it. And if we know anything in big business, if we know anything in, in CEOs in any major fortune 500 level company, which a lot of these conferences would be based off of the revenue that's coming in, you can't trust these guys. They're a bunch of snakes. They're all thieves, right? Like they're all in this for financial reasons, which is a part of the reason why the ACC, and this is kind of the other really interesting aspect of this, is why is the ACC involved in this? Why would they sign up for this? Because the Pac-12's media rights come up in less than two years. The Big Ten's come up within the next five years. The ACC's Media rights contract does not come up until 2036, 15 years down the road. So some sort of alliance in terms of non-conference scheduling doesn't really benefit the ACC because their next TV contract is not going to be for 15 years. And so unless they found a way to get out of it, to you know work their way out of it, there's no incentive for them to to join this alliance unless they're coming at it from a genuine perspective of we're trying to stabilize college football. And I think that's why they're doing it. I think that's why the ACC is, is here right now. Now the ACC and the big 10 had both come out with statements saying they were not going to pursue any sort of expansion, any sort of realignment. The PAC 12 hadn't. And when asked about it, during this press conference, George Glovkov said there'll be a statement on it. We're talking about it right now with the presidents and the chancellors and the people involved in the conference. And we will, you know, let you know in the next, you know, by the end of the week, as I believe they're phrasing. Well, we're at the end of the week. 
And George Klyovkov and the Pac-12 did announce that they will not be pursuing any sort of conference expansion, any sort of realignment. And this is interesting, not because it was surprising. I think we all, for the most part, expected that they were all kind of go in line with this, especially after just coming out with this, this whole alliance and this whole press conference. It'd be kind of spitting in the face of it if the Pac-12 said, yeah, actually, we are trying to add Baylor. Or we're going to try to add Houston or, or you know, name random school here. So that part of it wasn't surprising. What was uh, of note with this is that where does that leave the Big 12? And in a lot of ways, it kind of clears the sky a little bit, right? You know, it's a, it's a stormy day. It's an overcast day. And now it's starting to, the rain's starting to let up. And we're starting to see a little bit clearer as to what the options are for the Big 12. Now, of course, a year from now, the Pac-12, Big 10, ACC, any of those schools could completely flip their mind. But for now, we know that the Big 12 remaining Big 12 teams aren't going to any of the other Power 5 conferences. So what ends up happening then? Well, for the Big 12, they could try to add teams. You know, they could go full send and say, hey, let's bring in uh, UCF. Let's bring in Cincinnati. Let's bring in Boise State. Let's bring in BYU and see if that's going to recoup some of the losses, get back to 12 teams instead of the 10 that they had before. And See if that's going to make a difference. The problem is, I don't think BYU has any indication or any intention of not being independent anymore. I think for BYU, it's a pretty good setup. They still get high-quality games. They still get national games. They still get great primetime matchups, especially based off of where they're located. They play USC. They play Arizona State. They play Utah every year. They're playing a really great schedule. And we saw last year when they had a guy like Zach Wilson that they ranked – as high as the top 15 in the country. I think they got as high as almost number 10. For the other three schools, Cincinnati, I don't know if Luke Fickle is going to be there for the long run. So maybe you think, hey, we might lose Luke Fickle at the end of this year. Let's, let's go secure our money because we don't know how good we're going to be after having this coach here who's built this incredible program. Uh, for Boise State, the geographical side of it, I don't think – matters i mean leaving the mountain west to go to the big 12 would be a big jump and for ucf i mean ucf's done pretty well on their own as it is and i actually think it would kind of make sense for them to decide to leave you know and go to the big 12 but as ucf they're gonna have to fly from central florida all the way to idaho to play boise state i mean crazier things have happened but you're really talking about spreading the big 12 across the entire country and though i do believe that ge- you know geography doesn't really play a role in how we determine our conferences and how we think about college football as a whole. Now that is a, that, that's as far of a stretch as you'll have to go in the country short of a team on the East coast going to play Hawaii. You know, we're, we're talking about corner to corner here. So I, it doesn't answer the question, Hey, what happens now with the big 12, but it, it does at least tell us that we know they're not going to be joining any of the other pack or any of the other power five schools anytime soon um so yeah i mean that's that's the long and the short of it to be honest there's not a whole lot to glean from from this alliance there's not a whole lot to really take from from this stuff but we talked about it a lot on on tuesday's show and it's worth bringing up you know because right now college football feels like it's kind of settled a little bit 
you know, it's almost like a snow globe that just kept getting shaken up with every new thing. One time transfer portal was a shake and it started to kind of the snow kind of started to settle. And then all of a sudden uh, NIL comes and it's a big shake and then things are kind of starting to settle and then Oklahoma and Texas settle and the cultural expansion and all, and all these things happen one after the another after another. And now this alliance, they get out in front of it again. They don't know what this is going to look like, but they had to come out and say something They had to have some sort of response. And ultimately, we still have in total the total amount of experience on the job between George Klyovkov and Kevin Warren and Jim Phillips as commissioners of their respective conferences is like 25 months in total. And that's that's not a whole lot. That's that's not a whole lot of experience. And I think they're trying to do their due diligence and they're trying to figure out kind of what to do now. And to put this out at least is, is taking the snow globe away from the kid and saying, Hey, let's put that down. Let's let this settle. And, and we'll go from there. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk ACC. After that, we're going to talk pack 12. And instead of the group of five, I'm going to save the group of five stuff for Tuesday show with Vito and Scott. Um, we're going to talk about the co- the quarterbacks in college football right now because we lost some high-profile profile guys last year. And a lot of people were saying, well, what's it going to be? This is a shocking year for talented quarterbacks in college football. And I think by season's end, we're going to see a lot of names and a lot of really talented guys start to emerge and cement themselves as, you know, potentially replacing the – Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, all those guys. Uh, so we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll hit quarterbacks, ACC, Pac-12, and uh, we'll go from there. All right. The most important position in football, arguably in sports, is your starting quarterback. And over the last few years, we've had this group of really talented guys who we all knew eventually would leave and move on to the NFL. And all of last year, I remember having conversations being like, well, who's going to be the guy? There is no Trevor Lawrence. There's no Justin Fields. You know, Zach Wilson kind of came on strong last year. But there was this burning question of who who is there? You know, who do we have left in in college football? And I was talking about this on, on the radio show today. There was a lot of really good quarterbacks. Like the, the list of guys who I'm excited about runs almost 20 guys deep. And I can't ever remember a time in college football where there were that many guys. Now, look, probably at least half of that list is going to end up being meh, you know, we'll, we'll see. But it, it kind of reminds me of post KD on the Warriors in the NBA. When KD left, it was this moment where we all kind of looked around. I was like, all right, like who's going who's gonna to win? Who's, whose league is this? Who's the best team? And it fills you with this excitement. It's like, well, it could be anybody. You know, this team's pretty good. This team's pretty good. And this team could be really good. And, and there were felt like there were eight or nine teams and nobody had any clue as to who was going to be that, quote unquote, you know, top dog, who was going to be the next Warriors dynasty. And, and college football quarterbacks right now, it's very similar, right? So we can go through the, the top names, but it runs a lot deeper than that. So, you know, your top names are going to include, you know, DJ Uwe Ungolay. Uh, Bryce Young, quarterback. So DJ, 
quarterback at Clemson this year, taking over the reins. We saw him in two games last year. He's taken over for Trevor Lawrence. Bryce Young, quarterback at Alabama. We talked about him on Tuesday's pod. Really exciting young quarterback. One of the top recruits, him and DJ, were, were one and two. JT Daniels, we talked at length, length about on Tuesday's show, right? Matt Corral, we talked about on Tuesday's show. Um, if you want to keep going, there are several other uh, guys within um, the SEC alone that get you excited. Now, DJ is playing in the ACC. In the ACC, you have DJ Uyungle. You have Sam Howell. Sam Howell, who we'll get to when we break down the ACC in a little in a little bit, could end up being the best quarterback in the country this year. He was spectacular last year, and he's a huge reason as to why UNC is coming into this season as the number 10 team preseason in the AP poll. Now, I don't want to go off of too much of a tangent here, but it is important to note that all of the AP poll stuff, you can't put too much weight into it. Like, yes, there are certain general things, right? But like UNC lost a lot of guys. So yes, UNC is number 10 coming into the season, but a lot of that has to do with, with just Sam Howell alone. Uh, we have Derek King, quarterback at Miami. We talked a little bit about him on Tuesday's show. We'll talk more about him once we get to the ACC. And again, that's just two conferences. Let's move to the Big 12, right? You have Spencer Rattler, very exciting young quarterback, Second year as a full-time starter at Oklahoma. We've seen what guys do when they get two years with Lincoln Riley in that offense, how dynamic they can be. He's a little bit better of a runner than, say, like, you know, a Baker Mayfield. He's not uh, Kyler Murray, not even, not even close. He's not Jalen Hurts as a runner. But he's a better thrower than Jalen Hurts. And he's probably on par as just a pure talent as a thrower as a guy like Kyler Murray or a guy like Baker Mayfield. So he's an interesting kind of mix. He's a little small, but he'll be good. Uh, Brock Purdy, quarterback at Iowa State. Whether or not Iowa State is as good as we think they can be is going to fall entirely on the arm of Brock Purdy, who is preseason one of the best quarterbacks projected in the country. Probably will end up being a – definitely will get drafted. Where he ends up will entirely depend on how well he plays this year. Uh, you can look at the the Big Ten. The Big Ten has some interesting names, right? Uh, C.J. Stroud, who won the quarterback job at Ohio State. No one really knows what to do with him, but he's a young, exciting quarterback, high recruit, a uh, lot of arm talent, very mobile. We're going to see a lot from C.J. Stroud this year. Uh, if you want to look uh, at Sean Clifford at Clifford at uh, Penn State, he's someone else. Could be either really good or could kind of be meh. We're not really sure as to where he's exactly going to kind of end up finishing out. Uh, Tanner Morgan, quarterback at Minnesota, was one of the best stories in college football two years ago, and he did not play really well last year, but they had changed offenses at Minnesota. They had a new offensive coordinator, and it was during a year with COVID, and he himself dealt with injuries and some COVID situations. Um, going back to the ACC, Kenny Pickett, quarterback out of Pitt. A lot of excitement there. There are so many guys. And again, that's just a few different conferences. But if you look out West, Jaden Daniels, the quarterback at Arizona State, could end up being a first-round draft pick. Keaton Slovis, who's the best pocket passer in college football this year. Uh, USC, he's expected to potentially be a first-round pick. There are guys all over the map. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, 
quarterback at UCLA. Like the list can just keep going on and on. I've talked about uh, Malik Willis, the quarterback at Liberty, who I think is going to end up being a top five, top 10 pick in next year's draft because he's just a uniquely special talent as long as he keeps his head right. He's had some off the field struggles in the past, but the dude is an all world type of talent. And I'd also throw in there, Florida State has two really intriguing guys. Jordan Travis stepped in, did some really good things last year. But the the big name is Mackenzie Milton, who was the rock star at UCF two years ago, has that horrific Alex Smith-type knee injury, and now he's making his comeback. So just going through all of these conferences, all of these guys, there is talent all over the place in every single conference and at multiple different levels. Desmond Ritter, quarterback at Cincinnati, sneakily one of my favorite players in the country. So don't sleep on what these guys are going to do just because they don't have the name value of a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields, guys who we had spent years watching. In two years' time, we're going to be talking about a lot of these young guys, like we were talking about Trevor Lawrence, like we were talking about Justin Fields, like we were talking about Sam Darnold, all of the big-time quarterbacks that we always hype up that we get to know. We're just in this season where – it could be any of them. And, and objectively, that is really exciting for college football. Um, let's switch now and do a little bit of our ACC preview. Now, similar to what we did on Tuesday, I'm not going to go through every single team. We're just going to kind of hit the main storylines, the top contenders, uh, and, and a couple of my, my favorite players here that are going to be playing in, in the ACC. The ACC as a whole has been dominated by Clemson. I believe it's been six straight uh, ACC titles for Clemson just the domination that Dabo has built that program. They're a juggernaut and they're going to continue to be really good this year. Now it's a shame that the, the competing competitive teams around them, the competing teams, the teams who are going to try to take down Clemson weren't as good as they are this year, last year, because I think Clemson, despite having Trevor Lawrence was a lot more vulnerable than they are this year. Cause the team surrounding DJ Uwe Ungolay and the team that Dabo Swinney has built at Clemson this year is better than it was last year. Uh, they end up losing to Ohio State in the college football playoff. It was a big revenge game. It was a really exciting, entertaining matchup back and forth basically the entire time until Justin Fields decided to go beast mode and just take that game over. And then it felt like it was a bit of a blot there after the second half. But we are in the post-Trevor Lawrence era. And what do we expect out of DJ Uyunglele? Because for me, I think his upside is as good, if not the highest, of anybody in the country when it comes to the quarterback position. He is huge. He's a legitimate 6'5". He's a legit 240. And this is only his second season in college. The kid is, I think, 19, 20 years old. So he's a true sophomore. Uh, as a true freshman was the backup right away. He can run. He can throw. We saw him throw for 400 yards in the game against Notre Dame, albeit they did lose that game. But that was more on the Clemson defense than it was on him. He played great. So I'm not going to fault him for throwing for 400 yards against a really, really good Notre Dame team. Like that Notre Dame defense last year was loaded. So I'm not going to fault him for that. But we still haven't seen him play a full season. We still haven't seen what he's like as a leader. You know, we've seen it in spurts. He played the two games. Uh, he was actually better in the Notre Dame game than he was in the Boston College game last year. All that being said, I think DJ Uyunglele is going to be awesome. I am very excited to see what he does as the full-time starter 
with that team. Now, altogether, the offensive line was really young last year. They got a lot of experience. They're all highly recruited guys. They should be really, really good up front this year, uh, especially in a conference that doesn't have a ton of elite level pass rushers outside of Miami. But even still with Miami, they lost, you know, they don't have a Greg Russo right now. They don't have a Jalen Phillips last now, right now. So who is going to be that, that edge rusher? They have young recruits in, they have guys who might be able to do it, but outside of them, this is not a, this is not a conference that scares you with defensive line. Well, where it will come into play will be the college football playoff, assuming that Clemson makes it there. And I think this Clemson offensive line is going to be able to handle it. Um, an awesome wide receiving core, just led by Justin Ross, who missed last last year. And I would be very worried if I was a defensive back in the ACC because the running ability plus the arm strength of DJ Uyunglele plus the dynamic wide receivers that Clemson has, that's a nasty recipe. And, you know, Justin Ross last year was talked about as being one of the best wide receivers in the country before he got hurt before the season. Now he's fully recovered, fully rested, and I think they're going to put up a lot of points. Yes, they don't have Travis Etienne, but they have a ton of pass catchers on that offense. Uh, and and Dabo Sweeney is an awesome, awesome offensive head coach, and I, I think they're going to do a really, really good job on, on the offensive side of the ball. The defensive side of the ball, that was their Achilles heel last year. Now, again, similar to the offensive line, they had a lot of young guys They didn't lose a ton on the defensive side of the ball. And they added a couple of young recruits who are going to be actually playing this year. Uh, one of my all-time favorite Eagles, Jeremiah Trotter. His son is going to be one of the starting linebackers, most likely. He's definitely going to play some snaps there. Uh, Skalski, who is the guy who people know from spearing Justin Fields in the, in the college football playoff game, uh, that was the targeting call that kicked him out. He's returning because he got that extra year of eligibility because of COVID. I think this is his sixth season at Clemson. It's amazing he's been there for that long but you're going to bring him back. So you have an experienced signal, signal caller and you have younger talent who got a chance to play last year. And there are dudes all over. I mean, this isn't the best Clemson defense we've seen, but it's definitely going to be a step up from next year. And I, right now I, I think they win the division. And, and honestly, I, I think they're going to end up winning the national championship this year. Um, it, it's a little early for me to, to say full send on that. And, you know, I will, adjust how I feel about that as the season goes. Again, we haven't seen them play, but I, I feel really good about Clemson this year. I think Clemson's going to not going to say surprise people. Cause I mean, we, we expect this out of Clemson, but I think they're going to be more polished than people think. I think there's an expectation that because Trevor Lawrence is gone, that's a bunch of new young guys and, and, and how, how are they going to adjust? I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to win the ACC. I think they end up winning at least going to the college football playoff and, and most likely the national championship. And once you get there, you know, it's, it's kind of whoever comes and brings it the national championship. But for the other guys, for the, for the guys who can actually make a run at Clemson for some of the, you know, top player or top teams um, outside of Clemson, you do have to start with UNC because for all of the question marks surrounding a good UNC team, uh, you know, last year UNC was, was really good. They surprised a lot of people, but they lost – Michael Carter, they lost Javante Williams, the arguably the best two-headed running back room in all of college football last year. 
and, and yes, that's, in, that's including Alabama. It's including all the other, I mean, they, those two together were, were filthy. And I think Javante Williams with Denver and Michael Carter at, with New York, I think that they're both going to be really good pros, but they also lost Deami Brown, who was just a flat out burner guy who was going to get behind the defense uh, a little uh, Will Fuller esque, you know, could just flat out speed, and Sam Howell likes to throw the deep ball. So they lost those guys. And losing those players is going to hurt them. That being said, I still trust Mac. Mac Brown has done such a phenomenal job recruiting there. And so there are guys who are coming in. They've been the number one team recruiting in North Carolina since Mac Brown's been there. Uh, they've stolen guys from Clemson. They've stolen guys from Texas A&M. You know, they, they've, they've beaten a lot of really good schools out for high level recruits and and whether or not you know they can step in and play right away because sam Howell's more than likely going to leave this year and go on to the nfl you know that's kind of a different conversation and that's kind of where we stand right now with unc the other big question with unc is is their defense um they lost their best defensive player in chaz surratt to the minnesota vikings who was a converted quarterback to linebacker but had 91 tackles last year in, a, in an abbreviated season. That's really tough to do. And while, again, you think of it similar to like what we said with Clemson, with Trevor Lawrence, it's like, oh, they lost their best player. What do we do? You know, this is this defense is going to be the same. Actually, everyone else kind of stayed. Outside of Chaz Surratt, they're returning the other 10 starters. And they have some younger guys that have been recruited over the last couple of years who should be able to take a step up. So I actually think their defense is going to be better because the only reason they lost a couple of games that they did like that Miami game was that they couldn't stop anything. I mean, they were paper thin on defense, like as, as bad of a defense, they were as bad defensively as they were offensively. They were like an old school, like big 12 team who could just flat out throw the ball lights out, score at will and put up 40 to 50 points a game, but they could not get stops in big moments. And I think defensively, they have to take that big step. And I think they will be better defensively, though I do think they'll also not be as dynamic offensively. And ultimately, I think they end up probably making, I can't remember, the Coastal versus, you know, the, the ACC Coastal division versus the other division. Like, it always throws me off. So I, I don't think they can, I think they would have to beat Clemson in order to actually get to the ACC title game. But I, I think they're going to end up being a, a, a probably a two to three loss team, um, somewhere in that 10 to 12. 10 and 12, nine and three kind of a range and they'll be competitive. And you know what? The biggest aspect of all of this is just, you have Sam Howell, you have an experienced head coach and you have a really, really good quarterback, arguably the best quarterback in the country uh, projecting wise. You have a guy who could easily end up in New York for the Heisman ceremony. It's just going to be a matter of is the rest of the team around them going to be good enough for them to compete nationally for them to knock off Clemson and potentially find their way into the college football playoff. It's possible. I'm not going to say it's not, but I don't think it, it, it's particularly likely. Um, the other teams I would throw in there would be, I think NC state is always, always underrated. Uh, NC state is one of those teams that they recruit really well. They never have a bad season. You know, their bad seasons are like a game above 500 and last year they were okay, but you know Dave Doran has this team like locked and ready to go. They are going to turn some heads. They're going to win some games they're not supposed to win. And I, I, I like the Wolfpack. I think they're going to be a really frisky team. If, if nothing else, they're going to make you work for it. And I, and I love that about this NC State team. 
But the other the other main competitor is going to be Miami. You know, you have Derek King, who's when healthy is one of the most electric players in college football. Uh, and, and whether or not he is healthy coming off of the knee injury last year, which again was only like eight months ago or you know, eight, nine months ago, you know, that's going to determine a lot for this team. If he's healthy and if he's the version of Derek King that, that we saw at Houston and we saw in, in games last year, they're going to be nasty. I think their defense, again, as a whole, yes, they lost some key pieces on their D-line, but they rotate through a lot of really good defensive linemen. So they may not have a singular Jalen Phillips or a singular Greg Rousseau type of guy like they've had in years past under Manny Diaz. They're going to have depth at the defensive line position, and that's going to be huge for them. Uh, all of their school guys are returning, basically. And that wide receiver room has a, has older, experienced guys, guys coming back for a fifth season, and they have guys who are younger, higher-rated recruits, guys who want to come and play with Derek King. But there's a belief there. There's a belief in Manny Diaz. And when guys buy into their head coach and what their coach is selling like that, and I know it's preseason, but I was really shocked when I heard some of the things I did at ACC Media Days about how much these players love Manny Diaz and buy into what they're doing and doing work outside of practice together, you know, going to a park and running routes you know, finding ways that they can just get better every single day. And that is massive when it comes to the culture that's being set. And right now there's, there's a legitimate culture, I think, being developed in Miami that is going to kind of put the fearing of God into Clemson a little bit. I, I really do. I, I think they're going to shock people on how well they play Alabama in week one. I think that game's going to be really, really fun, though I do think Alabama probably ends up winning the game. But I wouldn't be shocked if Miami wins. I just, that belief in a guy. And Manny Diaz is a Miami guy. He's from the area. He's got his roots there. He's coached there in the past as an assistant. He came back to take over that job. I really, really, really am high on Miami this year. And they were really good last year. I mean, it, it was just because of the, the one or two losses that they had and the way that the, the schedule kind of broke out. I mean, they were kind of like Texas A&M in the SEC West. You know, it had more to do with losing that one game to Clemson that kind of put them out of the race. And when you lose the tiebreaker there, you know, what are, what are you going to do about it? You know, there's, there's really nothing you can do. So I like Miami. I like Derek King. And I think Derek King's going to end up being a Heisman finalist this year if he stays healthy. And that's the thing. I only think this about Miami if they stay, if he in particular is healthy and is the version of the King that we're accustomed to seeing. And once you get out onto that field, once you get out and you're getting chased and guys want to legitimately take your head off, it's a whole different ball game. So yes, you can look great in practice when no one's allowed to touch you, but what happens when you got a 270 pound defensive end coming down your neck, trying to take your freaking head off. It's a totally different game and how he responds and the trust he has in that knee. It, we're going to see it, and we're going to see it week one against uh, against Alabama. So I think Miami is the biggest threat to Clemson, but UNC, NC State, I think they can both, you know, again, be frisky. I, I think they're both teams that I just – I wouldn't pick them to be – I wouldn't pick any of these teams to beat Clemson. But I think all three of them have the capability of beating them any given Saturday, right, any given Sunday. Some of the other teams, though, that I think uh, – or at least worth noting, Boston College, Jeff Halfley, year number two there. 
he's been quietly building something. He's been quietly building something. He's a, kind of a Northeast guy. He came as the defensive coordinator at Ohio State, and they have an edge to them up up in Boston. They, they, they really do. And I think once we see – I think they need another year before they're really going to start, you know, being competitive. I think they're going to lose a couple games this year. They have a young quarterback filling in for Djokovic last year who was a really good quarterback. They lost Hunter Long, who was their biggest playmaker. He's now in the NFL as a tight end. I, I, I'm a little bullish right now on, on this Boston College team and what they kind of do. And I can tell you what, guys, you know, when you go up and you have to play Syracuse in New York in the wintertime in the fall, you, know, you get to play in a dome. That's temperature control. Once you get up to October, November, December games in Boston, that is a tough, tough environment. And we saw Clemson last year kind of struggle with them. Now, granted, again, it was DJ Uyunglele playing that game. But they're going to be seeing DJ this year, too. So keep your eye out for Boston College. And the other team that's worth talking about, though, again, I don't think they're really going to turn any heads, is Florida State. Uh, Florida State, when they're rolling, you know, them and Miami are, are, are the next two brands after Clemson right now in terms of, you know, when, when Florida State's good, Florida State is a national brand. When Miami's good, Miami is a national brand. We're seeing both programs kind of starting to pull their way back. We're in year two of Mike Norvell trying to repair the damages that Willie Taggart did, which were basically destroying the program post Jimbo Fisher. I think Mike Norvell is the guy that's going to do it, but this is a long process. Now you have to remember the, the great Bobby Bowden passed away just a few weeks ago and Bobby Bowden ran Florida state like a mom and pop shop, you know, Never asked for more money. His philosophy is on football, faith, and family. That was his. That was his mantra: football, faith, family. And now I'm not the most religious guy in the world, but I appreciate the way that he ran his program. And uh, I've I've worked with Danny Cannell, who played for him, worked with uh, EJ Manuel, who was the last starting quarterback Bobby Bowden ever had at Florida State. And the way they would talk about him and the just. He ran his program so differently than the way that college football is ran today, where everyone wants the nicest and newest facilities. Everybody wants more. Everyone wants the shiny new toy because that's what's going to get us recruits. And Bobby Bowden never did that. So from a facility standpoint and what the school can offer its players, it was so behind the eight ball. And the only reason they had continued success was because Jimbo Fisher is one of the best coaches in the country. But Jimbo only got a certain amount done. And guys wanted to go to play to play for Jimbo. He wins that national championship. And they were still, I don't want to say riding off the success of Bobby Bowden, but Bobby Bowden had made them a, a legitimate real brand for 35 years. So they had that kind of staying power. And then when Jimbo left and it was Willie Taggart's team, Willie Taggart basically took away all of their reputation. All of their credibility was wiped out when Willie Taggart destroyed what had been built at Florida State. And so now they've caught up. They realize, hey, we, we have to upgrade our facilities. We have to upgrade our stadium. We have to upgrade our amenities for our players. That's going to take a few, a few years. That's going to take three to five years to really kind of get the ball rolling on that. And that's kind of the stage we're at now where it's year two, Mike Norvell, Mike Norvell's first year, 
was also a, you know, the COVID year. So how much can you really take away from that? So we're getting our first real taste of what this Mike Norvell era is going to kind of look like on the field. And I think he's a brilliant coach. I think players really, really love him, despite kind of getting off to a rocky start last year with some of the COVID protocols and some of his comments on it. But they have Mackenzie Milton, who tons of people are going to watch just because of Mackenzie Milton and that story coming back. Jordan Travis is an electric player, and I'm – I. It's a shame that I love both of those quarterbacks. I would love to see Jordan Travis playing for another team because I, I do think he is that elite of a talent, but he still needs to kind of – he's still raw. He still needs to develop the football side of it a little more. And right now it seems by all accounts this is Mackenzie Milton's team. But what we see in year two of Mike Norvell, his first normal year, I think is going to be pretty telling about what we can expect moving forward. I, I don't think they're going to be a, a nine- or ten-game winning team. I think seven to eight wins is looked, I mean, eight wins would be a great season for them. Seven wins would be like, all right, we're on the right track. If they come in at six and six, there's going to be some eyebrows raised a little bit and not in a bad way. Cause it's still going to be an improvement from last year, but it's going to be like, all right, how good is this? And look, that's a passionate fan base who, who demands excellence. So those are, like I said, Florida State, they're, they're a fascinating team to kind of keep your eye on. And again, the Mackenzie Milton story is going to be absolutely worth talking about. Uh, just a few players in the ACC to keep your eyes on. For me, I wrote down Mackenzie Milton and Jordan Travis. Uh, Justin Ross, the, quarter, the wide receiver out of Clemson, could be if he's, again, if he's fully healthy and back to the version we saw as a freshman, he's going to be lights out this year. He's going to be really, really good. And I'll throw one other quarterback out there who I mentioned quickly when I was going through the list of quarterbacks, but Kenny Pickett and honestly Pitt as a whole, they're another team that could be kind of frisky. The ACC has a lot of like frisky teams, like a lot of teams that if you were a, a, a USC or an Oregon or an Oklahoma or a top level team in another conference, you would not like to see them on your, on your schedule. I mean, even Notre Dame, you wouldn't love to see them on your schedule. Uh, but Kenny Pickett, I think, has a chance to be a legit NFL quarterback. And we saw flashes of it last year. He's a very gritty, grinded out kind of quarterback. He's got a little bit of that like Andrew Luck thing in him, likes to kind of dive head first. But he's got a good arm. He's very accurate with the football. He's pretty mobile, not crazy mobile. Uh, and, and I think he fits really well there in, in, in Pittsburgh. So we'll, we'll see how the ACC holds up. My, again, my prediction is I think Clemson ends up winning it. I think they win it relatively easily. And I think they're on their way back to at least the national championship. Um, we're going to take a quick break, come back, and we're going to knock out the Pac-12 here to wrap up the read option for today. All right, let's head out west. Pac-12 country. We know they're not expanding, at least for right now, at least in the near future. We're not going to see any new teams joining the Pac-12. But the Pac-12, like many other years, is kind of an enigma. Uh, there is, There hasn't been a singular team that has dominated the Pac-12 that said, oh, this is, this is this team's conference. But I look through the list of these teams, and I'm excited for pretty much all of them, with the exception of Oregon State and Washington State. Now, Oregon State did help put on a hell of a show against Oregon last year. I remember watching that game from the beach house and just like, it was uh, Thanksgiving weekend. And I remember I was working the our, our overtime show remotely. And it was this back and forth game. And there was a play they had to bring in the backup quarterback. I mean, that, that game was arguably the game of the year. 
last year. But you got to remember, too, a lot of teams in the Pac-12 only played like four or five games. Like like Washington won the Pac-12 North last year going three and one <laughs> because of COVID outbreaks and they only were going to play a six-game season. They went three and one. So we don't really know who is good in the Pac-12. The only team I think we know for sure is going to be good is Oregon. Oregon as a roster is loaded, and we're going to start with them here because Mario Cristobal, I mean, talk about the job he's done recruiting at Oregon, pulling guys from all over the place. I mean, he's recruiting every part of the country to go out and play in Eugene, Oregon. Now, we saw how limited his offense is in how little they used Justin Herbert. All right, he likes his guys big, nasty, and ugly up front. He likes to run the ball down your throat over and over. And they have Joe Moorhead as their offensive coordinator, who is a coach who made his career as a guy who likes to throw the football. Now, granted, when he was at Penn State as the offensive coordinator, he liked, he had Saquon Barkley. So, yeah, you're going to get the ball into Saquon's hand, whether it's handoffs, run the ball, whatever. But we saw Trace McSorley throw for a shitload of yards when Joe Moorhead was, was the offensive coordinator for James Franklin and those guys out in Happy Valley. And frankly, Penn State has not rebounded offensively since then. But continuing on with Oregon, Joe Moorhead there, I would expect them to kind of just find more and more creative ways to, to run the, the, the football. They have two awesome running backs. I think probably the best duo in the entire country this year in C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye. Um, CJ Verdell is, is a dude. He is a ton of fun to watch. He's one of my favorite running backs. Uh, they have a lot of talent at wide receiver, but not really sure. hundred. I mean, the breakout player prediction for a lot of people on this team has been Devin Williams, uh, quick, good, talented wide receiver. They just don't have any like legit guys. They have a lot of depth. They have a lot of guys who can come in and play, but this team's not about throwing the football this team wants to ground and pound and then beat you with play action control the, the clock and they have the defense to do it too uh they do have two true freshman wide receivers who everyone out west is very excited about troy franklin and deontay thornton um or dante thornton i should say but the biggest problem with the wide receivers is that i don't really know what they have at quarterback Right now, they have Anthony Brown, who is their quarterback transfer from Boston College. He was okay last year. I mean, Tyler Show, who was their quarterback last year for a good part of the season, uh, he's now in Texas M, Mississippi State. I think it's Mississippi State, yeah, because he's playing for Mike Leach. So we're not 100% sure what we're going to see at the quarterback position, but that isn't how Oregon, you know, butters its bread. It's, it's not how they do it there on the offensive side of the ball. They want to control the clock. They want to limit turnovers. And they want to beat you with the run and with defense. They have one of the best assistants uh, in, in the country, Tim DeRuiter. He will be a guy who will probably end up leaving uh, Oregon somewhere soon and will be an offensive coordinator somewhere else because right now he isn't the offensive coordinator. But he is a play caller for them. Now, he's a guy who, who is going to play a huge role into their overall success throughout this, uh, throughout this season. Defensively, we got to figure out if they have enough depth past their front four because they have the best player in the country in Kayvon Thibodeau. 
Uh, we haven't seen the last defensive end we saw get drafted number one overall was Miles Garrett. And it usually takes a, a knockdown, drag out unequivocally. This is the definition of a pure defensive end and pass rusher uh, to go number one overall. I think with how obsessed we are with the quarterbacks now, I don't know if he would actually go number one, but he most likely will be the best player in the draft next year. Kayvon Thibodeau, dude is terrifying. I can't even imagine lining up against him day in and day out. But, you know, take a look at him because he's going to be good. Um, defensive side of the ball, after him, Penny Sewell's younger brother, Noah Sewell, linebacker. Uh, they have a redshirt freshman, Justin Flo, uh, who, again, at the linebacker position, could be a potential type of game changer. So if everything works out right for Oregon, they're going to have a nasty running game behind a really, really good offensive line. Like they might have the best of line in the country. They're right up there with Alabama. They're right up there with any SEC school, including uh, Texas A&M, including Georgia. Like they are up there in terms. And, and that's even after losing Penny Sewell last year. If everything goes right, they have a ridiculously good offensive line a really good running back room, a quarterback who's not making mistakes and, you know, we'll, we'll make some plays here and there, but ultimately is not going to kill you with turnovers. Is not going to sling the ball 30 times a game, probably closer to 20 attempts a game. And you're going to have a defense that is nasty up front. It's going to be able to get after the quarterback. The secondary was pretty good last year. We need to see if they can do it again here in uh, 2021. But again, the sample size is so small so small from these Pac-12 schools that it's hard to really look into any of the numbers from last year too much, or at least not put too much value on it. Because again, the sample size is, in a lot of these cases, like five, if they were lucky, six games. Uh, and, and that's a perfect transition because the next team I want to talk about out West in, in the Pac-12 North is Washington, right? The big, big rival of Oregon. Those schools hate each other. Uh, Jimmy Lake was hand-selected by Chris Peterson to, to take over for um to take over for him when chris peterson decided to, to kind of leave really solid roster uh, a bunch of again talented skill position guys um but the offensive line you know that needs to continue to be a strength for them last year they were pretty good they didn't really lose too much off of it and they're coming back now with you know left tackle jackson kirkland he might end up being a top two round pick next year. And I know, again, it's so early and so much is so much is going to change. But they only played four games last year. They went three and one and win the Pac-12 North, but they only played four games. So how much can we really take away from Washington? How much do we really know about how good Washington was last year? I, I personally think they're really good. I, I don't think they're going to be a, like, no question, 10-win team. But I think they'll give a run for any of the team in the Pac-12's money because right now that that conference feels completely wide open, but in like a good way, in an exciting way. Um, the other question for them is who's going to be their quarterback? Dylan Morris looked pretty good last year, but there's a true freshman named Sam Heward who is the nephew of one of my hosts that I work with on Series 6 and Brock Heward, who was a quarterback at Washington. So there's some family bloodlines here. He's a true freshman, so we have no idea if he's going to be any good. We don't even know if he's going to end up playing this year. He's not getting redshirted. 
if the season doesn't go the way they want, or if Dylan Morris is kind of making some mistakes, I could absolutely see them throwing in the true freshman because he is, he's going to be good. All right. He, he, and again, I, my sources are, are a little biased, but even in an objective sense, everything I've heard about him from Brock, uh, as well as from other analysts out on the Pac 12 in, in the West Coast, say that this dude could be the real deal. So Jimmy Lake, I like him as a head coach hire. He's still kind of unproven. Again, he's only had four co- – he's coached a, a season. He's in his year number two, and he's only been the head coach for four games. So this is, you know, the epitome of basically this is your first year as the head coach. Um, but we'll see. I, I like Washington. Their defense should be good. They, they always have depth at cornerback. They lost a couple guys last year. But the Huskies, I think, will be, again, in that nine, maybe ten win range, and it might come down to a game against Oregon to see – Who's going to represent the Pac-12 North in the Pac-12 championship? Uh, in terms of the other teams in the Pac-12 North, Cal, um, they are one of those teams who consistently just has great defenses. And Justin Wilcox, who is their head coach, is a defensive savant. And so they're not going to allow teams to run up the score on them. But their offense last year was, I think, anemic is probably a little bit hard, too too tough. Um, but we got to figure out who is going to be the guy behind, under center. Like so many of these teams, we just have no idea. Right now, it looks like it's going to be Chase Garbers, who having a full season to work with Bill Musgrave, who is a very well-respected um, offensive mind in football. That should help. They bring back four out of the five from their offensive line. That will help. Not a whole lot of talent on the, on the outside. Uh, Jeremiah Hunter is a guy that some people are kind of tagging to be a potential, you know, legitimate guy. And they have a, a true freshman tight end who people have been drooling over. Uh, and, and his high school tape kind of backs it up, Jermaine Terry. Other than that, they didn't pick up any transfers, which would have been nice for them. But we have a guy here in, in Justin Wilcox who knows how to coach defense and they only fear for them is just, they don't have a lot of depth at D line. They have a couple guys who can be good, um, but they also lost a top cornerback last year too. So we'll, we'll see about, about Cal Stanford. They need a bounce back year. David Shaw is always one of the guys who they're like, if you could pick any coach to, to take over your program right now, who would you pick? And so many people have picked David Shaw but David Shaw struggled. We haven't seen David Shaw lead Stanford to that elite level that we've kind of expected out of him for a while. It's been a long time. But that being said, I, I still don't necessarily doubt them, you know, and, and this year they need to see a, a massive upgrade. And it's a shame that Davis Mills decided to, to go to the draft. I mean, good for him. He got drafted in the third round. But Davis Mills with another year, uh, at, at college in this offense with David Shaw, I think Stanford would have been a legitimate threat to, you know, actually like turn some heads. Now they went four and two last year. It's six game season, but that is pretty good. Again, not putting too much into it, but they have a really, really hard schedule. They're playing 12 power five opponents, which <laughs> when your whole schedule, including your, uh, your non-conference games, are all power five. That's a tough, that's a tough schedule. 
So I think they'll be victims of their schedule more than anything else, and, and we'll see how the rest of this. Washington State, Rolovich, we'll see what he does. I'm not too worried about it, uh, or not too hopeful for him, I should say. And then Oregon State, Jonathan Smith is 9-22 and 22 as a head coach. He's an alma mater there. Um, they, they did eventually beat Oregon in that game last year. And all of their games last year were 13 points or less. So take it for what you will. But, I mean, this is a make-or-break year for Jonathan Smith. I mean, it, we, we need to see at least seven or eight wins. And right now, I just don't think they have the bodies for it. I don't think they have the Jimmys and Joes. You know, it's hard enough to get guys to go out to Oregon to play for, you know, the Ducks, who are sponsored by Nike and have one of the most unbelievable set of facilities of any athletic program in any sport professional or in college. But now you're going to try to get people to come out to Oregon state. Uh, there's, it's just a really hard job. It's a really hard job. And, but I like Jonathan Smith and that game last year was electric. So I'm, I'm going to be rooting for them to be, you know, to be better uh, in the South side of the division. These guys aren't my team that I think is going to win the South, but the team that I think you have to lead off with is USC. You know, Clay Helton is literally sitting on a throne of fire. <laughs> you know, somebody somebody took a campfire and put it on a chair and the fire's still burning, and that's what Clay Helton is sitting on. Because he was thought to be gone two years ago, three years ago, and yet here he is. And by all accounts, Clay Helton is a wonderful man. I, people love the guy. People think he's an, an incredible human being. Like, he's just a really good guy. And if you are a USC fan, that doesn't really matter to you because you're not interacting with Clay Helton on a day-in, day-out basis. But everyone around that program loves him. Now, if there's a year for him to win the Pac-12, it's 2021. Keaton Slovis coming back, who is really the only pure pocket passer that we have in terms of like legitimate prospects for the NFL. He's kind of built like a Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or one of the old school quarterbacks who can just sit there. He's got a great arm. He's got amazing touch. He's one of the best deep ball, like to the sideline type of throwers that I've seen in recent years. And, and again, he does it all from the pocket. He's not an overly athletic guy. He's got a big arm, and we've seen him light up some Pac-12 defenses in the past. So he's expected to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country, Heisman watch list, all of that stuff. A lot of people have him preseason, first team, all conference. I don't think he's going to end up being the best quarterback in the conference, and we'll get to that in, in with our next team. But Keaton Slovis is going to have to lead this team. Now, the offensive line is where this team will be make or break, right? Like, the difference between them winning the Pac-12 and not even getting to the Pac-12 championship game is entirely based on how good their offensive line is able to play. Uh, they have to run way better than they did last year. They care. It was 3.2 yards per carry last year. And on top of that, Slovis got the crap kicked out of him. In six games, he got sacked 15 times. That can't happen, especially with a non-mobile quarterback. Now, he doesn't do anything to help that, but you have to give him time. The positive side of that, however, is that there are guys 
on that offensive line who were young and inexperienced in 2020. They're returning almost that entire starting offensive line. You hope that they take the next step. At the end of the day, that's all you can do. You have to hope and pray that that offensive line takes the next step and keeps Keaton Slovis upright. A guy who has struggled with uh, concussions in his career. Guy who has struggled with injuries in his career. If his arm's good, his head's good, Keaton Slovis will be good, and I think USC ends up making a, a, a big difference. They also have a guy who I think could end up being one of the best wide receivers in the country, Belindikoff finalist, uh, Drake London. Just keep an eye on that name. All-around explosive player, great route runner, uh, and he's got some swag to him too. They also have Keontae Ingram transfer, uh, Katie Nixon transfer, and they have a loaded wide receiver room. They, the talent isn't the issue on either side of the ball for them. It's just a matter of can guys stay healthy and can all the pieces kind of come together. Defensively, we saw some, some progress last year, right? Like it wasn't the greatest year for them defensively, but they do have uh, two really good edge guys. Um, last year, it was Drake Jackson. He was one of the best defensive players last year, kind of just a pure edge rush guy. And uh, in the recruiting game, Corey Foreman, who's going to come in and be another really good pass rusher. He's a true freshman, so we'll see if he's good enough to see the field right away. But they were terrible in the red zone last year. They, they were awful. The secondary was seventh in the country in pass efficiency. And right now, they don't have really any key linebackers that, you, that make you happy. And while they do have some guys on the D-line, there's just not a lot of depth there. But they did get some big transfers uh, in the secondary, which will help a lot. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. I was going to try to talk about one interior defensive lineman. I'm going to mess up his name, but it's uh, Tuli Tuapoloto. Tuapoloto. He could be a game record. He's not Leonard Williams, right? Remember from his time at USC, but he could be a potential game record. The other team that I think has uh, – well, there's three teams I think have a legit chance to win the Pac-12 South, but the one that I'm most excited about is Arizona State. This team has a lot to love. First and foremost, Jaden Daniels. I mean, this kid has shown flashes of being spectacular. I mean, I'm talking about like, like Heisman-worthy spectacular. Problem is, is he's never weighed over 200 pounds in his life. He's, he's been six foot four, six or six foot three and 185 pounds, 190 pounds since he got there. Well, he's weighing in at about 210 right now. The kid finally was able to put on some muscle. They got the right training staff in there with Herm. Jane Daniels is going to be a problem for people. He can run. He can freaking sling the ball. And I'm excited to see because they have a really good running back room as it is. And you add his running ability on top of the fact that you have good running backs. Well, you're going to be able to run a lot of this read option, no pun intended, kind of stuff where we're going to see guys rolling out and he's going to be triple option. And again, not your Nebraska triple option. We're talking about triple option is, hey, I'm going to hand the ball off. I'm going to keep myself on the run or I'm going to roll out a little bit of what we saw with you know Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray at Oklahoma. And you have a guy who can do that. You're going to utilize it. The problem is 
Jaden Daniels' durability. You don't want to get that dude hurt because if he goes down, your season's over. This is year number three. He started as a true freshman. He's going to make a difference, I think, this year for this Arizona State team that was loaded on the defensive side of the ball under the direction of Antonio Pierce, the former Giants linebacker. They were one of the best teams uh, in stopping the run last year. Uh, I want to say they were number one. In, or sorry, I had that switch up. Number one in scoring defense, but their run defense was, was not great. Great cornerbacks, great defensive backs, bend and don't break kind of a defense, held up in the red zone really, really well. But Jaden Daniels has to get better about protecting himself. He's a little bit reckless. But they have young wide receivers. They need to kind of take the next step this year. Uh, they have a redshirt freshman, LV Bunkley Shelton. Should be a really good player. They have a couple of transfer guys they're excited about as well. And the projected, you know, kind of breakout guy for them is Elijah Badger, wide receiver who showed flashes last year as a freshman. We'll see how he kind of looks here in 2021. But the defense needs to get the all in all. They, they, they gave up 103.2 yards per game on the ground. Sorry, 183, not 103, 183 yards uh, per game on the ground. You can't have that. You need to be able to keep the ball in your hands, run your offense, let Jaden Daniels be the guy that he has the potential to be. The only thing that I see really knocking them off, though, is all the off-the-field stuff. There's an NCAA investigation involving some recruiting stuff that Herm and the rest of the coaching staff had no connection to, which knowing Herm Edwards the way that I don't necessarily know him personally, but what we know about him, that would be really surprising if he actually did know about it, just based off the kind of guy that he is and his reputation. So this probably was recruiters and, and assistants kind of going out of their way. As long as they can kind of keep that, I believe it was their tight ends coach. As long as they can kind of keep that off the field and have that not affect them throughout the season this year, I think Arizona State's the team that's going to win the Pac-12 South. I, I, I really do. The last team that I think has a really legitimate chance to to win the Pac-12 South is this team that always pops up every couple of years. They have one really, really good year. One went away from going to the college football playoff uh, two years ago. Kyle Whittingham's Utah Utes. They're the most cyclical team in college football. They build up. They have this connection to the Mormon faith and religious ties that bring them these American guys from American Samoa who end up being like game changers. They either go to USC or they go to Utah or BYU as well. Um, and that works to their advantage. But they also added Charlie Brewer, who's a quarterback from Baylor who had had some issues with injuries. But when he played at, at Baylor, was always really good. And they do have to replace some, some key players on that you know 2019 defense that held guys to you know 26 points a game. They were still pretty good last year. They were like middle of the pack, slightly better than that. And now we're talking about a guy in like Devin Lloyd who could end up being outside of Kayvon Thibodeau, the best defensive lineman in the Pac-12. Uh, and, and if there's one coach who I, I just believe, again, in this cyclical thing, it's good for a year, kind of okay, or me mediocre for a year or two, really good for a year, middle of the pack, kind of okay. You know, that's just this is just what he does year in and year out. And 
I love Kyle Winningham. He's one of my favorite coaches in the country. I expect Utah to be really good this year. I think what will end up happening is one of those three teams will end up beating the other two. You know, we're going to see Kyle Whittingham and Utah beat USC and beat Arizona State, or we're going to see Arizona State beat USC and beat Utah or USC kind of vice versa there. And then those other two teams are going to kind of cancel each other out. I, I just or, – or we see like a, like a three-way tie, which would be fascinating as well. But those are the three teams I think have a, a legitimate shot at winning the Pac-12 South. And I think all three of them could win – the Pac-12 as a whole, though, I still lean slightly towards Oregon. But again, that question mark at quarterback for Oregon, I think in, in a tight game, you're not going to have a guy who's going to be able to sling the ball down the field when you need it. You know, that that ground and pound with the big uglies up front, like that's great to have in games that you're winning. <laughs> if they get behind the eight ball, injury on defense, something like that happens, you know, I, I think any three of those Utah, USC or Arizona State could knock off Oregon or Washington, depending on who they end up playing uh, in, in the Pac-12 championship. The other teams in the Pac-12 South, uh, there's really just one that I, I would say I'm, I'm very excited about, um, and, and that would be UCLA. Now, Chip Kelly, he's 10 and 21, but last year they lost so many close games they were a two and five team that could have easily have ended up going seven and oh six and one that's how close they were the offense averaged 35.4 points a game but they have a really really tough schedule they do have one of my favorite players in the country to watch dorian thompson robinson he had averaged 285 total yards a game because he can beat you with his legs and he can beat you with his arm. He's a little RG3-esque in that regard. Uh, the, our, the hard part for them, they lost Demetric Felton last year, who was a huge, big-time you know, playmaker for them, could catch the ball. He's just an everything guy, kind of like Rondell Moore. Could catch the ball, could run the ball, could do a little bit of everything. Um, and then you, you look around at some of the other skill guys. Look, I mean, it's a Chip Kelly offense. Like Chip Kelly, they're going to score points. But the defense has to be way, way better. And luckily for them, they're returning 10 starters from last year. They gave up 6.7 yards per play and just about 35 points per game in 2020. So those numbers alone, when you're averaging 35 points a game, 36 points a game, and you're only giving up and you're, you're giving up 34 points a game, like that's at minimum should be about a 500 team. They just had so many gut-wrenching losses. They were right on the edge there. But they brought in a bunch of defensive uh, transfers that are exciting. Kid from uh, Tennessee that people should should get excited about. And I think they're going to be a, a good team. I, I have them winning somewhere around six to seven games. I think the South is, ends up being a better division overall in the Pac-12 than the North. But it, it should be a really fun team to kind of keep your eye on. Um, the last two teams in the Pac-12 South, Colorado, uh, Carl Durrell, they went four and two last year. Really good defensive team. Um, they were averaging about 28 and a half points a game so they can put up points. Um, I would expect them to be better defensively than they were last year. The numbers don't make it seem like they were that good defensively, but they were actually a pretty decent team. Uh, when you looked at like how they actually performed just a couple of games kind of threw the numbers out of whack again with the limited sample size, it's kind of tough. The defense has to be better. I, you know, I, six and six, five and seven, somewhere in that kind of ballpark. You know, I, I would I would be surprised if they end up being a, like a, a high caliber team. But again, they went four and two last year. They won a lot of tight games. 
So we'll see what goes there. And then the other big question mark team here is Arizona. Jed Fish, we just have no idea what he's going to be like. He's never coached in college, or at least not as a head coach, first-time head coach on any level. But he comes from the Belichick school, came from the New England Patriots to be there. And this is going to be a rebuilding project. He does a great job of recruiting. You know, he, he had Gronk catching uh, – who played at Arizona. He had Gronk catching a, a ball that got dropped out of a helicopter that went very viral on Twitter. Um, we just don't know really what the expectation is there. So for, for Jed Fish and for Arizona, we just want to see some sort of spark that gives you some hope that, you know, Arizona can actually be a, a legitimate team. And, and we'll see how that ends up playing out. So I have Oregon winning the conference and I have them beating Arizona State. But I think Arizona State is is going to be like it's going to be similar to Utah a couple of years ago, where it's okay if Arizona State wins in the Pac-12 championship, they're in the playoff, or at least they're in the conversation for. It. I really do think Arizona State can be that good. I just I'm a firm believer in Herm. I'm a firm believer in Jaden Daniels more than anything. And I think by season's end, we're going to talk about Jaden Daniels as a fringe Heisman candidate, and I think we're going to talk about him as a guy who's going to go in the first round of the NFL draft. I could be wildly wrong. You know, because that's just kind of it's so hard to figure out what we're going to see out of the Pac-12 this year with the limited sample size last year, the coaching turnover and honestly, just so many unique styles of, of play. I mean, Oregon versus UCLA. I mean, like two opposite ends of the spectrum here. So uh, we'll see. It should be should be a fun uh, season in the Pac-12 because, again, it is it is anybody's conference to win. And, and that includes a, a really loaded Oregon team who, like, despite the fact that they should be the runaway favorite based off of personnel, they don't have a reliable quarterback. Unless Anthony Brown ends up being a stud and none of us are seeing it, I, I think that that division, you know, especially if you're going up against, a, you know, a Jaden Daniels or a Keaton Slovis, right, or even Charlie Brewer in Utah, I mean, those, those – I mean, that Utah would be the best matchup for Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. But Oregon still is also going to have to beat Washington, and, and Washington can turn some heads too because, again, really great roster, but do we see enough from the quarterback position, uh, and, and do we see someone like Sam Heward end up coming in and, and, and turning some heads as well? But we'll see. Team, I, I'm a Pac-12 defender. You know, a lot of people like to like to dump on them. They're not the SEC. They're not the ACC. They're not the Big Ten. They're just not. They don't bring in the guys like that. They don't even bring in the guys that the Big 12 does. But as someone who's a fan of FCS football, where it's like I, I just like watching really competitive games and, and I like even playing fields, the Pac-12 is perfect for that because you're still going to see guys who are going to be playing on Sundays, but you're just not going to be seeing as many. <laughs> but it's it, it should be a really, really fun season. I'm, I'm excited to watch the, the Pac-12. All right, uh, that's all I got. We'll be back next week. Have a wonderful weekend. Uh, as I said last week, go do I don't know, go do something you've never done before. Like tell your friend about an awesome podcast you heard called The Read Option that's got a very handsome and hilarious host. That'd be great. Um, or you know, try something else. We got it's a big world, and we're all just trying to get through it uh, one day at a time. So uh, the boys should be back on Tuesday again. They had some stuff, so don't be mad at them too much. Uh, you know, things happen and we keep rolling no matter what. So uh, enjoy it all. Enjoy football. Football's back. Week zero. Get locked in. Hawaii, UCLA. That should be a fun game. Nebraska and Illinois. Scott Frost. They're saying this is a must-win game for Scott Frost. 
We'll get into that on Tuesday's show when we break down the Big Ten. So uh, for everybody associated with the read option, have a great weekend. Enjoy the football. We'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. And as always, take it easy.